This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'm so glad you're here. I have a guest host today who I'm about to introduce you to, but first, let's hear from one of our proud sponsors. When life gets busier with what can at times seem overwhelming, you want to have as many coping mechanisms at your fingertips as you can. For me, Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD products are the best way I've found to soothe my own aching muscles. Instead of only one form of CBD, there are 16 varieties in OMM's products. Simply knowing I can reach for it gives me relief. What's most important is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my lifetime that I needed to be assessed for back surgery. And three times, I've kept walking, getting massage, and steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form or a calming salve, which is what I prefer. That's also available. And there are other benefits of taking such a high-quality CBD including immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's Ozark Mountain's fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. Again, that code is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. Welcome back. I first met Kimberly Quinlan when she asked me to be a guest on her incredible podcast, Your Anxiety Toolkit, after the book Perfectly Hidden Depression came out. She's also been a guest on Self Work to discuss her own book, The Self-Compassionate Workbook for OCD, and she was an obvious pick to lead off these guest episodes. Why? Because she's not only an expert at treating anxiety, and I knew whatever she chose to talk about would be pragmatic and useful from the very moment you heard it, but she's extremely caring, open, organized, and I will share that as I listen to the episode you're about to hear, I found myself much more calm at the end than when I'd begun listening. You'll learn fun facts, like having the strong urge to poop when you're anxious is quite normal, (laughs) which I didn't know, as well as seven hard-earned but unbeatable steps to help you intervene with your response to anxiety. The point is not to stop anxiety. It's to become aware of your own very unique response to it and choose what Kimberly calls to have a values-based response to your anxiety and then to, quote-unquote, ride its wave. Not easy to do, but she's also known for her off-stated mantra, today is a beautiful day to do a hard thing. Now, that's a fabulous mantra for anyone, but especially for those of us struggling with depression and or anxiety. You can find her through her book or her website where you can find treatment options for many types of anxiety and her podcast, Your Anxiety Toolkit. I'll have all those links in the show notes. But before we get to Kimberly, let's hear from one more of our wonderful sponsors. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work. 
and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash selfwork to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, here's Kimberly Quinlan, my first guest host. Hello there. My name is Kimberly Quinlan. I am a marriage and family therapist in the state of California. I am a past guest on this amazing podcast, and I am so honored to be here to be a guest host of an episode for Margaret. Margaret has been a light for me personally as a marriage and family therapist and also just a human in that she actually really changed the way I conceptualized anxiety. I'm an anxiety specialist. That is my specialty. And she really changed the way I thought about it because I had always considered myself an anxious person and a perfectionist and a very, very hard worker. I actually considered that to be some of my best traits, and I still do. But once I came across uh, Margaret's book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, I started to realize that a lot of these behaviors or what I considered qualities was actually in an attempt to hide and avoid depression and hopelessness and helplessness and worthlessness and self-esteem issues and vulnerability. And this was a major light bulb moment for me and has changed the way I assess my own patients now. It's changed the way that I conceptualize depression and anxiety. And for that, I am just so grateful for the work of Margaret. So really, it's an honor to be here today. It almost feels like a full circle moment to be here today to share with you seven powerful tools for managing anxiety of any kind, right? This is the work that I do on the daily with my patients and with my students. However, These are seven tools that I do have to review and revisit with them, even though I've trained them quite regularly, right? The thing to remember when it comes to anxiety is we are basically animals of habit, right? We often do the thing that we have done in the past, not the thing that's actually best for us or the thing that we want quite regularly. We do the thing 
that we've done in the past because it's familiar. We've tried it before, even if it wasn't super effective, maybe we got a little bit of relief. So we try it again, thinking that maybe if I just do it a little different or a little longer, something will change. And so often I need to revisit this, what we call psychoeducation or information or tools to help people break that cycle of anxiety. Now, the thing to remember here is anxiety is in fact a cycle. And some people will say, well, yeah, I just go round and round with anxiety. And I'll say, no, it's actually way more mechanical than that. When we have anxiety, right, in the form of a thought or a feeling or a sensation or an urge or an image even, our natural instincts is to run away from that discomfort or fight it or freeze, right? We call that the FFF response, like fight, flight, freeze. And there's also another one, which is fawning, right, which is people pleasing, right? And when we do these one of these F behaviors, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, we do get relief. But when the fear comes back, we then have to engage in the same behavior. And so that's why the cycle perpetuates itself. Now, most people will ask me, how do I stop having anxiety? So I stop doing these FFFFs, right? Like, how can I stop the anxiety so I don't have to do these problematic, ineffective behaviors. And I'll often say to them, that's actually not where we intervene on the cycle. We don't intervene at the anxiety point of the cycle. We intervene at your response to it, right? Because we can't control anxiety. We can't. We know this scientifically. And the more we try to control it, usually the worse it gets. But what we can do is change how we respond and react. And I'm going to give you seven tools to help you do that today. Okay, so here we go. Tool number one, which is a powerful tool for managing anxiety, is what we call mindful awareness, right? This is really just code for catching it when it starts. A huge part of managing anxiety is being aware of when it presents itself. Because we all know when it presents itself, sometimes we get lost in rumination for hours until we realize, wait, I'm stuck in the cycle of anxiety. I'm going around and around and around. And so if you can catch it as it starts to rise and fall, then we actually have the capacity to change how we respond. So mindful awareness is being able to be aware of what anxiety feels like to you. And it's different for everybody. For me, it's often dizziness. Like I don't get the whole heart beating thing and and the hyperventilating and and so forth. I get more of like this general weird sensation of dizziness. Whereas my partner, he often says as soon as he's anxious, he needs to go to the bathroom <laughs> like right now. Like he needs to either pee or poo, right? We talk about everything in therapy, right? <laughs> but that's his body's way of responding. And that's also very normal, right? Our body creates symptoms to help us prepare for fight and flight. If you're someone who needs to go to the bathroom when you get anxiety, that's actually normal. That's your body trying to eliminate any weight because it thinks that you have to run a long distance because your brain has told you there's danger. And, you know, back in our 
thousands of years ago, when there was danger, let's say a wildebeest or something, you would need to run away from it. So it eliminates weight, right? And that's your sensations. If, if some people say, no, I don't have that. I actually have the, the more traditional heart rate, shallow breath, you know, hyperventilating and so forth. So your job is to be aware of as that starts to present itself. Some people get nauseous. Some people feel tremendous pains in their stomach or tightness in their muscles. You know, there are so many presentations of anxiety and how it shows up. Some people get chronic headaches, right? And so it's being aware as those small sensations start to present themselves, right? And then having a very good plan on what we're going to do different this time. Okay, so let's go to the next step. Tool number two is understand that all fears have the same cycle of anxiety. So we've already talked about this cycle and it's important that you recognize that all fears have this same cycle, right? Sometimes we'll go, oh, I'm really good at handling this one anxiety, but not this other one right? Which is true. Sometimes we're good at one thing and not the other, and that's totally okay. But what I want you to recognize is the only thing different is you're not applying those tools that you're really good at working on with this other new or other fear, right? We can always intervene at the response part of the cycle, right? And so what does that look like? It might be, again, using your mindful awareness, being very aware of your sensations, your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations that are, you know, rising and falling, right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to catch what urge you feel to engage in to make that discomfort go away. I personally have my patients log this out for two whole weeks when I first start seeing them. So I'll say, okay, I want you to catch the moment where anxiety is starting to be present. And I want you to write down the behavior that your brain wants you to do to make that anxiety go away. Some people say, oh, I did the behavior and I have no problem with that. We're in an information gathering stage here, right? So log down. What did you do? Oh, I had some tightness in my chest and I, in effort to get rid of it, I went to the fridge and I ate or I, you know, binged on TV or I went and checked something many, many times for perfectionism, or I completely procrastinated. I just shut everything out and just numbed myself with such and such. Or I noticed that the anxiety was present and then I went into a deep sort of hopelessness, right? So just catching your response to the anxiety, this stage in and of itself will blow your mind, Really, it will. And the reason I say that is so often when I do this with patients, they're like, oh my goodness, I have all these habitual reactions to anxiety and I didn't even understand why I was doing them and now it makes sense, right? Now it makes sense. So that's really a big piece is to catch how you're in response to make it go away. Now, one thing to note here is it's okay to want your anxiety to go away, right? We're actually breaking the cycle so that our anxiety can be reduced. But it is important to know statistically and scientifically, the more you try not to have a feeling and the more you, you try not to have a thought, the more you're going to actually have it and the more it's going to bother you. This is a core scientific fact, right? 
let's do an experiment. The more you try not to think about a blue pen right now, the act of trying not to think about a blue pen means you're thinking about a blue pen. Now, if you apply that to a scary thought that you have, the more you try not to think about the scary thought, the more you're going to be thinking about not thinking about the scary thought. And then the more your brain is going to send out adrenaline, cortisol, anxiety hormones, because it thinks you're in danger, right? So it's important to recognize that. All right. Tool number three is I want you to ask yourself, what would the non-anxious me do in this situation? This question is gold. I cannot tell you how many times I've asked my patients this question, and they say it always leads them towards their values, not their fear. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Is what would the non-anxious me do in this situation? right? So here's an example. Yesterday, I had to sort of set a limit or a boundary with somebody. I'm so impressed because that's been something I've been working on doing. Very proud of myself. But then as soon as I did, I have all these anxious thoughts. What if they come after me? What if they're angry? What if they rebut me or retaliate against me and so forth, right? And then I say, okay, what would the non-anxious me do in this situation? And I was like, they'd probably respond to all your emails and then go and make dinner. Okay, there we go. I've got a plan. That's what I'm going to do. What would the anxious me do? They'd ruminate, maybe apologize, maybe take back what I said. They'd catastrophize all the worst case scenarios. That's all going to keep me in the cycle of anxiety, which we're trying to break here, right? And so this question alone if you take anything from this, this podcast episode, this question alone is going to be a life changer. Tool number four, choose a value-based action or response to the fear. So we're doing sort of similar, like we just talked about, like what would the non-anxious me do? What I want you to do, and this is a core piece of the work I do with my patients and my students, is get really clear on your values because fear will always try to get you to do what it says, which takes us away from our values, right? Nine times out of 10, fear will take us and move us away from living a value-based life, right? And so sometimes it's really helpful to identify what your values are. And then we can, if you're really struggling with the anxiety, you can say, okay, what could I do that would line up with my values? We'll use the example I gave before. I set a boundary, I set a limit. Based on my values, I want to show up and be a really great boss and a really great mom. And I value my nutrition. So I went and made what I thought was a really healthy, nutritious dinner, right? That was value-based actions. Fear-based actions would have had me ruminating, like I said before. Sometimes when we're faced with a question of what to do, and you feel so overwhelmed by the size of the decision, we can get really stuck, right? I don't know what to do. Do I do this or do I do that? Or, you know, should I... A common one for me is I'm so exhausted. I have so much to do. I want to be there for my kids, but I also really need to rest. I really need to slow my mind down and have some alone time and and just breathe and be for a little bit, right? And so this is where it's important to recognize that sometimes our values compete, like the value of being a good mom and a good boss and a good leader, 
sort of interferes with my value of self-care and and nourishing my body with kindness and so forth. And so in that case, we would go, okay, based on my overall values, in order for me to be a good boss and in order for me to be a good mom and to eat well and take care of my body, I'm going to need to rest. And so I make the decision based on the value that has the highest priority right? If you could do a quick Google search, you can find a list of values and maybe you want to circle them if you don't know the ones that are valuable to you. That can be a really helpful tool. All right, tool number five. We're cruising here. Tool number five is, this is a big one, you guys, okay? Remember before I said, if you take one thing away, it was the question. I actually, I'm going to say, please take two things away, (laughs) Which is tool number five is be willing to ride the wave of anxiety. So when we don't do the anxious response and we do the value-based response, usually we're left with some uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, sensations, and urges and images. We're left to ride the wave of anxiety is what I call it. And this is pretty cool, right? If you're able to do this and you're willing to do this, you are one of my team players, right? Like you're, I'm, you're a part of my club and I'm a part of your club. Riding waves of anxiety is literally the thing that will make you feel invincible if you're willing to do it, right? And the degree in how willing you are, the more you'll be able to ride really, really big waves, right? Now, what I have found as a clinician who's treated thousands of people with severe, and I'm talking severe anxiety disorders, I treat very, very, very severe cases. I was trained on very severe cases. I've ridden out some really big waves of anxiety with my patients, and they have all said the same thing, which is anxiety has taken all my confidence away in my lifetime. But riding a wave of anxiety is the most confident I have ever felt once I rode it out. Not during, because during the ride, you're probably a bit shaky. But once you've ridden a wave of anxiety, you will feel the most powerful you've ever felt. This is where I talk to patients about self-esteem, right? We don't build self-esteem by winning. You can, but it's usually short-term self-esteem. The real self-esteem, the real sense of strength and achievement comes from actually riding waves of discomfort and struggle, right? I'm not strong because I've got some accolades under my belt. I consider myself strong because I've ridden out some really tough times, some tough times mentally, some tough times physically. I have a very chronic illness in my marriage. Like, Riding waves of discomfort, they're the times where I felt like I had my back, like they've made me this strong woman now. And so I want to sort of reframe this idea of riding waves of discomfort as a problem. No, it's the solution. It's so empowering if you're willing to do that hard work. Tool number six, right, is please be gentle every single step of the way. And that is key. We could do all this work. In fact, I used to do all this work with my patients and I used to not know enough about tool number six and it used to kind of get them better, but they're still kind of wrestling with themselves. They're still kind of trying to tell themselves that they need to be different all the time and wrestling with the concepts a little. But when we really embraced a compassionate view of this and recognize that as I ride the wave of discomfort, 
I'm not there to like beat myself up or wrestle through it. I'm actually there to tenderly nurture whatever's coming up as I ride the wave, right? As I engage on changing my response, I'm going to be radically, unconditionally there for myself and be the first line of support right? Sometimes we go to other people for support and I'm a huge advocate for that. But you know who's really better than going to your family and friends is going to you. Like you're the best person. If you can be your best support system as you're riding waves of discomfort, you've got everything you will ever need, right? Because you're always going to be there, right? So, so important, right? And then here we go for a drum roll tool number seven, but P.S. I have a secret tool for you here at the end, is celebrate every single win, even if the win is teeny, 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 tiny. So I have patients who can't touch certain things or can't be in certain places. They can't attend certain events. They can't brush their teeth. They can't open cabinets. I treat a lot of severe OCD or phobias or social anxiety and panic attacks. And sometimes people will skip this tool, this part of celebrating, because they're like, you know, Kimberly, like, I'm not going to celebrate opening a drawer or, you know, not washing my hands because I should have been doing that anyway. I should have been able to do that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, stop. (laughs) We are going to celebrate every win because it's if it's hard for you, it's hard and we get to celebrate it, right? If it was hard for you, it's worthy of celebrating. It doesn't matter what it is and whether it's easy for other people. If it's hard for you, we celebrate in proportion to how hard it was. Does that make sense? So the more hard it is for you, even if it's easy for everybody else, the more we celebrate. We do a dance, we tell our friends, we, you know, give ourselves rewards if that's helpful for you. We, you know, give ourselves massive kudos, whatever works for you, but do not forget to celebrate. Okay. And here is my final statement to you. One thing I say, and I know I said this in the last episode that I did here with Margaret, is I say every single day to people on my social media platforms or on my podcast or my patients and to myself, this one statement that has changed my life and and apparently has changed many people's life. And it's this, today is a beautiful day to do hard things. We have been taught that life should be easy. It should be Instagrammable. You should be succeeding. You should be on an uphill trajectory all the time, getting a little better every day. And it's just not right for you to struggle. And I'm here to say that's BS, right? Life is hard and there's bumps and it's not linear. There's ups and downs and it's messy and we're all messy and we're all doing the best we can, right? And life is really hard. Even when you think you're healed, oh my gosh, another layer of healing comes and shows its face, right? That's how it is. Believe me, I'm not the first person who's thrown a tantrum, I'm sure, over the fact that I thought I'd healed something and then, oh, no, here we are back. We've got to do some more healing, right? And I always say, it's a beautiful day to do the hard thing, right? And so I want to offer to you as we close that no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult 
or how you feel like no one else understands, or maybe it's hard for you and it's easy for everybody else, I want to offer you that today is a beautiful day to do the freaking hard thing. And by doing the hard thing, by riding the waves of discomfort, by choosing your values instead of fear, that's how you break the cycle of anxiety. And you can do this. It's one baby step a day, And little baby steps lead to medium-sized steps, which leads to massive change in your life. And usually, you're plugging along going, oh my God, I don't see any progress until one day you're like gobsmacked and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm making way more progress than I even knew. Sometimes you've got to water the plant for multiple weeks or months before a sprout will show above the ground. Right? It takes time for that seed to germinate and sprout and then slowly come up as a little baby little plant. And that is what this is all about. Okay, so thank you. I'm so honored to have your time. I know your time is valuable. I hope you got as much possible out of this. I hope it is exactly what you needed to hear and it landed exactly where it needed to land. I am sending you so much love, Margaret. My heart is just so big for you right now. And just wishing you nothing but wonderful, wonderful vibes and warm healing energy. And I am excited to hopefully get to chat with you guys again sometime in the future. Thank you so much. And it's a beautiful day to do hard things. Thank you for being here to listen in to these guest hosts. I'm doing well and I'm looking forward to being back with you. Enjoy the rest of 2022. And as always, thank you for being here. Take very good care of yourself, your home, your family, and those you love. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.